Welcome to Bipolar Inquiry, drafting and crafting bipolar consciousness since 2016 by philosophizing, relanguaging, and harvesting mania's special messages, meaning visions, extraordinary experiences, ideas, insights, superpowers, possibilities, synchronicity, and parallel worlds. The Bipolar Inquiry podcast is not meant to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Information discussed on the show is not medical advice. Now, let's get started with this episode. talking about yesterday. Today's a good day to make videos because there's not as much traffic noise. I think I've decided I want to quit my new job. I just don't really think that working in the mental illness paradigm is energetically good for me. Logically, I'd love to participate and be able to work to logically, slowly but surely make change. But I think that's slow because it's appealing to logic. And it's trying to oppose the logic of the system that's already there. And words, competing with words, is sort of a very slow process. And it feels strange because at this moment I'm still staying well. I'm still managing to stay well. And it would be me withdrawing at a point where I'm still well versus waiting until I go downhill. In a way it could be good because I'm quitting when I'm at sort of the pinnacle of my career in peer support. Not that I won't continue with it in another fashion, it's just I don't know if it fits well within the mental health system. And even if it does, I don't know if I fit well in that role, in the mental health system. Because I really don't feel it's helpful for people to be pathologized like that. And of course they have the recovery movement and things, but within the system it's still about, here's your pathology, now recover from your pathology we just gave you, instead of starting from a different point. And I'd rather start from that different point, I think, because being immersed in that other viewpoint doesn't really allow me to arise in relationship as I would like to. So I talked about how in certain states of consciousness we more so arise in relationship we are what we arise as in that relationship. So by being related to the mental illness paradigm, I'm arising in relationship to that. And it's in contradiction with my belief system and my value system. And not that there's not a place for that, 
but it to me is weakening it weakens me it weakens people and and so if I was to participate in something different that was more strength based I would be able to arise in relationship to that strength based paradigm or experience or situation and I love it when people are doing well and doing strength based positive things that really gives me energy and it's not that people don't do that within the mental illness paradigm it's just it's just a different reference point it's just a different vantage point and and it just it really bothers me I think maybe largely in part because with all this self-dialogue that I've done I just really don't believe that because I don't believe it of myself so I don't believe it's true for other people even if they believe it's true I don't believe even if there is an element of truth I don't believe in labeling people so early maybe if people were given open dialogue for six months and then labeled Maybe most of the people wouldn't need a label at that point, or their label would be lesser, and they would get appropriate help. But there's such an emphasis on this immediate labeling of people in order to get them on the immediate medication. It doesn't mean don't put someone on medication to calm them down or keep them able to to be able to hold whatever experience they're having while moving towards new context and understanding and dialogue but people aren't given that opportunity so they're medicated and basically told to be quiet not really told to be quiet but there's no real listening ear and that's where I think something like emotional CPR could come in very helpful as well as I was even thinking it'd be cool if a bunch of people were trained in it to have an eCPR day where on a certain day people could come and speak to people in the eCPR way and then that person would be able to practice their eCPR skills and to really create a community of practice and a community of dialogue in that way so even if certain people who came to be the people receiving the ECPR ear, they would start to think in different ways just by the way the dialogue was happening. And maybe they would want to be trained in it at some point. So it would just be something totally different and it's keeping that distress from accumulating to the point where a person then needs medical help. And even if it's a person that doesn't need severe and serious medical help, if they need just a little bit, and then they take some sort of medication, well, now they're just avoiding whatever it was that is causing the problem, even if it's just um, not, as, not as debilitating. Well, it just allows a person to go back to the crappy life that was probably causing that to start to build up and not actually find different solutions or paths that might lead to something different.
And when I'm thinking, when I'm saying this right now, I'm actually seeing, I'm doing self-dialogue with myself, which could be a form of eCPR, even though I've never taken eCPR yet. And in a way, I'm having this self-dialogue, and I'm noticing lately I've been getting this feeling of stress, distress, and if I'm thinking about it, the stress, distress could be of the situation in my life. So if I don't really think about that and eliminate that and just keep moving towards that, eventually I will have my fourth hospitalization because I never listened to what that distress is pointing to. And I said to a friend earlier today that think I'm having an allergic reaction to working in the mental health system. It's almost like my consciousness, my energy is starting to freak out. And it's interesting that I can't focus on what it is I'm supposed to do at my job. It's like, don't focus on that. You're freaking out and we're not going to let you focus on that because you're not supposed to be doing that. And I don't know if that's true, but it would be interesting for me to frame it in that way as opposed to thinking, oh, I'm becoming more mentally ill. And I could say, well, I'm becoming more distressed, so I need to take some kind of medication to deal with the distress. Or I could remove the distressful situation and I'm not sure if I quit if I'll the next day think oh my gosh why did I do that it was such a good opportunity part of me feels a bit angry at the system just because I don't want to be pathologized and when I was sharing my story on Thursday It was the best I ever did at sharing my story and I felt like I was able to really share what it was that I wanted to say and how I wanted to say it and how I wanted to frame it. And I realized that I was able to use 98% strength-based language and some of it that I use in these self-dialogue videos. Not some of the out there concepts, like I wasn't talking about like epigenetics and epimimetics. But I was talking about transformation a little bit. I was talking about, it's like a different intelligence. I was talking about empathy and these different factors. And I even mentioned that it might be a disability in some ways, but there's an habilitation factor. There's different abilities that arise when certain abilities seem to atrophy during this process. It's like a, it's like a flip in a way. It's like we flip from our, our mind brain to our heart brain and it's very disorientating. And so I don't think I even said the word bipolar. Um, I might have said psychosis, but I might have said what's called psychosis or what's known as psychosis. And, and it was interesting that using all that strength-based language that I created for myself 
not just not that I created the language or the words, but I created that as my context for which to talk about it and frame it. I felt strong afterwards. Whereas if I would have said, oh, this about my mental illness and oh, psychosis and oh, the hospital, and I was getting so sick and all this stuff that people say, I probably, I probably would have felt differently after. So I, I really chose to practice using the language and the way I want to speak about it. And I don't think I ever spoke about it in terms of like, this is bad, I'm bad, or anything. And when I really think about it, that's how I want to speak about it. It's not... And with that language, it's not turned into that which we're sort of programmed to see it as. We're programmed to interpret it that way, and if we interpret it that way, of mental illness and all this, we're going to feel more fearful if we notice something happening. So we're trained to be fearful of that. We're not trained to notice it. We're not trained to be aware of it. We're not trained to really wonder about it. We're not trained to create our own context through which to describe it. That we might have even created during the initial transformation process, like thinking, oh, this is related to this, which seems delusional in a way, but it was our way of making sense of this transformation process. And so I'm sure I had ways of making sense of it during the process, and now I'm able to make sense of it when I notice the process sort of being activated. And again, it could be a different type of sensor or compass saying, I'm going the wrong way. And it might seem the right way. It might seem the right logical way. It might seem the right egocentric way. Go and advance my career and make some money and, and help the system and all this thing. That's very logical. But it seems that my senses, my body, my feelings, my energy, everything is sort of reacting to that. And I don't know if it is that. It could be something else. But that's sort of the thing that was added in most recently. And that's the thing that usually has gotten me to a place of having all of that. And in a way, it's... It makes sense because the allostatic load of sort of taking on the system in a way by working in it. If one is working in it and one is sensitive in consciousness and a deep processor and a deep sensor and can get supposedly overstimulated by being in that environment, being in that work, I'm automatically extrapolating everything that I encounter and that would create allostatic load, information overload, by being in that heavy scenario. So it could be something that is just difficult to get into something like that because of the extrapolation that my brain does. So instead of me saying, oh, I'm weak, oh, I'm, you know, I can't I can't be successful and all of that. It's more just that my mind, my brain processes in a different way.
that isn't allowing me to go there. And it could be not allowing me to go there because I'm not supposed to waste or utilize my energy in that way. Maybe there's a more powerful way to use my energy. Maybe if I spend two hours a day making videos, self-dialogue with myself, that will be more powerful than just sitting in an office and doing a few documents for one program in mental health somewhere. And and I don't think that's as powerful. It could almost be a waste of awareness in a way. So, and that makes sense too, because I've talked about how a lot of times recovery is like recover into cog in the machine job. And that's recovery. Well, I'm reacting to cog in the machine job. And then again, if I quit, it's like, well, now what do I do? And I might have to be very creative with that and create something of my own in terms of what it is that I can unfold as me, not working in a system which was something I didn't create. So, yeah, I guess too that would be part of this synchronistic lifestyle design is that that's not really going to create as much synchronicity. I feel, I feel really done with it. And not completely, because I also have a casual job in peer support and the conversation is going well with that job in terms of being able to be a bit collaborative and co-creative. And what I actually see happening possibly is creating some kind of rediscovery center, rediscovery and recreation center. So for people that go into this trans consciousness, they have somewhere to go to be and also to rediscover and recreate themselves. And it would be sort of a community thing. And I talked about some of that with talking about sort of like business ideas. And I don't mean business as in I want to make money, but it's usually some kind of business that is created in order to pull people together in some way. But it wouldn't even have to be a business per se as much as just people contributing to a community. And it could even be what I talked about with neighborhood. And the neighborhood could be part of the thing where somebody knows ECPR. So they're sort of like a neighborhood watch. And then they have maybe certain people that they connect with who are their neighbors. And they're not necessarily their peers, they're not really, they don't have to be somebody that also has a diagnosis of some kind. And hopefully eventually people wouldn't have a diagnosis at all. They would just know, oh, I'll go to my neighborhood watch person and they're going to witness my process of dialogue to help me unfold some meaning and context through which I can create a larger map, a larger mindscape for which I can navigate my life because right now it's being navigated down a narrow tunnel and that is leading me into 
isolation and lack of degrees of freedom. So also people in the neighborhood, they would be doing their thing to contribute to the neighborhood and and help build up the neighborhood in a, a different way that was supportive. And I often think, like, I don't know how all of this would be created, but I feel like if I talk enough to myself about it, I'll be able to speak with people in context as something arises in the moment when I'm out and about synchronistically and it'll start to happen. Whereas if I never talk about it to myself, it's not really going to be in my mind as much. It's not really going to be part of the context. And it's almost like I build context as I speak these things. They're vibrating, they're resonating, they're changing my brain cells and they're making it more likely that I will say these things when the opportunity comes. Just like when I shared my story on Thursday and I said all strength-based language that I would choose to describe, not describing it in terms of what I've been told over the years is my problem. And I didn't even present it in the way that it's supposedly a problem. It's made into a problem by the way it's interpreted and framed and medicated. And, and I'm not saying any of that is wrong. I'm just saying that it's more of an emergency measure. Why do we get to that point that we need all that emergency measure is one thing. And then why isn't it that we can't just bring someone out of the emergency state and then have so much dialogue to bring them back into an integrated place where they can go about recreating and rediscovering their life. And that would be the thing with this rediscovery recreation center. And I think too, again, with what I talked about was how we are that center. We are a recreation and rediscovery center. So I don't know what I was talking about. Somebody called me and um, I think I was talking about how we are a rediscovery and recreation center. We don't really need a building in order to represent that. And um, I was thinking about how when I told my story in the strength-based way, strength-based stuff keeps our nervous system strong. There's uh, muscle testing, which is applied kinesiology, and certain words and certain non-truths make our nervous system weak. So by using the language that I chose to create as the context to describe my situation and my experiences, it's making me strong. Whereas if I use language that doesn't resonate with me, it's going to make me weak. And you can do it by sort of pushing down. You can say your name or think it and then push and your nervous system is strong. Your arm is strong. And then if you say what name that's not yours, then it goes weak. And interestingly enough, since my last hospitalization, my nervous system stays strong for everything. So I can't even use that anymore. It won't let me use that. And I don't know what that means. I don't know if it means that 
I'm in a space of strength, so maybe I'm immune to things like that that make me weak, or maybe maybe it's that my whole body is the sensor now and I can't just use my arm to ask these questions like that. And so maybe I can't use that as a guide anymore. I have to actually use my whole physicality and my senses and my feelings and everything and perception. I can't just be like, oh, I'm going to ask my arm. Um, I'm not sure what that's all about, but before I would be able to use it and it, it would be one way to, to guide myself sometimes, but yeah, not anymore. I made some more notes and I, I made a note about how the ego is the wrong type of sound. Just as hearing truck engine brakes all day long is the wrong type of sound, that would not strengthen the nervous system. It would add to the stress. So it's almost like anything that would make the nervous system weak below the level of 200 on Dr. David Hawkins scale of consciousness would add stress to the system. Maybe it is stress in that the nervous system can't stay strong. So it sends this stress signal and cortisol puts us into fight or flight, which oftentimes makes us stronger because we need to fight or flee. So we need that extra strength. It's almost like our voice in our head, our monologue in our head, our own ego voice turned against us, making us weak, makes the nervous system weak, which then responds by cortisol being released in the body somewhere, the, the adrenal glands, and then that puts us into fight or flight, which gives us this artificial strength that we need because we're actually poisoning ourselves with our own words. So it's really important to not be exposed to these things that make us weak because if we do, because if we are exposed to those things, then the ego voice is going to be talking and making us stressed, maybe in order for us to get some bodily strength. And part of our weakness is that we're not in the right posture. So it all ties in to everything. Everything's related to everything. It can't be separated into Oh, this is the cause. There is no cause. One can unfold context and a lot of it, but doesn't mean anything is the root cause. I feel too like I can get into fight, flight, or freeze for different reasons than the ego would put me into fight, flight, or freeze. And that would be when the body is perceiving holistically and is moving towards a path that is not right for the organism and then it stops a person in their tracks and puts them into fight, flight or freeze and almost creates these supposed hallucinations and delusions to scare a person off from the path. Scare a person off of the path of linearity, of logic, of reason of society of the ego voice all of those things and then our voice even more gets turned against us in that it scares us and turns us away from that path and then we get pathologized and part of it's because the dopamine mechanism is broken down usually if we have a freaky thought we can go and eat a cookie and then we feel better but 
with this process, nothing is going to make us feel better unless the ego is completely dismantled. And the process is dismantling the ego and then it's interrupted and disintegrated and turned into pathology with chemical ego band-aids. And then with the chemical ego band-aid, we're moved towards recovery back into the system which we were fleeing from. And I was thinking about the highly sensitive person thing and how people are born that way and then the ones that are not able to be programmed into ego rationality as much remain highly sensitive people. And then people that are programmed and go in that rational academic or whatever way and then they're in that rational programmed way for years and then that breaks down and the ego gets scrambled and everything. Then those people are called mentally ill because one was disconnected from that sensitivity so in snapping back to that sensitivity there's this odd behavior and things whereas people that are highly sensitive and remain highly sensitive create their lives in such a way that they can sort of manage to go about life and and not get all freaked out but a person is programmed they're going into life and then the programming breaks and they become highly sensitive but they've had 5, 10, 15, 20 years of not functioning with that high sensitivity. So it becomes overwhelming. It's kind of like I read about or heard about this man who was blind all of his life. I think he might have had sight for a very, very short period of time when he was young. And so when they gave him surgery to restore his eyesight. And, and when he had eyesight, it was so much pain. It wasn't, oh, you can see, nothing made sense. It was, say, 30 or 40 years of no eyesight, and then all of a sudden this person had eyesight and couldn't make sense of any of the signals. Nothing made sense. Nothing looked like it was supposed to look like, according to how people that have always had eyesight see things. So it might have appeared as delusional. It might have been like a big hallucination. It might have been everything was blurred into everything. It might have been so much information. It might have been painful because all these senses are coming in and it feels like pain just because it's overwhelming. And the, the sense and the sensory apparatus, the, the molecules, the, the brain cells, the signals, whatever is needed in order to process that incoming data isn't there. So it's actually just felt as pain because it's all this energy coming in and not being able to dissipate it into the processing, into the images, into the things that they are supposed to represent in reality. And in the same way, a person who is deeply programmed and goes through this transformative experience, it's like almost like being blind one's whole life and then being able to see. Is having this very narrow band of ego processor of what is made salient in one's life and that is expanded to this huge band of feelings of of sensing other people's experiences of taking different perspectives than one's own ego it's not just me and my ego and how I see things it's how the other person see things how we both see things together what the other person could be thinking and it's just 
so much information. It's a different way of seeing that's different than seeing with the eyes. We see through our ego and what's made salient and when that breaks down, there's way too much information. And in the same way, it can be turned into different associations. We're used to associating and not extrapolating. So when we start to take different perspectives and we're able to extrapolate, it it, it is as too much information. We don't know what we're seeing. We don't know what kind of information we're dealing with. We don't know where it's coming from. Just like this man who had his eyesight restored, he wouldn't know what anything was or where it was coming from. It didn't make any sense. And I don't know if over time he was able to make sense of things. I feel the same way after a person has that transformative experience. It doesn't end. It keeps going. It's like always learning and always having a sense of where this information is coming from and what we're sensing and sometimes we don't even know. So imagine an indigenous person years ago. They would have been so attuned to their environment. If they heard a certain sound, they would know exactly where it was, exactly what kind of animal was making it, um, how long the animal would take to get to them, how long it would take them to get to the animal to hunt it, etc, etc. So in that same way, if we're experiencing some kind of sensation or some kind of information and we don't know where it's coming from, it might just be fearful. So if we were in the forest, we would be afraid because we wouldn't actually know where these sounds and perceptions were coming from and we wouldn't know how to act and which way to go and to avoid danger and to seek food, we wouldn't know. So it's the same way with having this transformative consciousness. It takes time to learn. So if we were left in the forest and then we, if we went to the forest continually every weekend for a year, eventually we would really get to know the forest and we would feel comfortable. And just when this transformative consciousness happens, it takes a while to feel comfortable and not be spooked. So originally it might happen where there's an extrapolation that makes us have a vision of something that happened a thousand years ago. And now that's scary because we normally don't experience that. But over time, with being able to navigate some of this information, we might just think, oh, oh, that, oh, I just remembered something from our human history or or it could even be kind of obvious when talking to somebody how it relates to that so it comes up as an extrapolation versus a supposed hallucination which um which is like well how did that come into my brain and and that's scary and then i try to relate it to myself because we always try to relate everything to our ego self when maybe it's just something that's arising that has nothing to do with us when we're driving a car, we don't see a sign and think the sign is talking about us. It's just a navigation post. So in the same way, some of these images and things that come up that are supposed hallucinations and delusions are just, they're just part of the map of the whole territory of the entire history of humanity. And we can access that information. And in a way, muscle testing, applied kinesiology was in order to ask any question and, and get the truth, you can ask yes or no responses. And if you ask something and it's true, it'll make you strong. So you know the truth of that. Well, in a way, this trans consciousness experience is sort of like 
applied kinesiology, but it actually happens in the field of actuality. It happens as an image, so if you think of something, you feel the truth of it, and it makes you sort of excited or happy or ecstatic, and then you see something scary and it makes you afraid. Well, that's sort of like the truth and the falsehood of the muscle testing, but we're actually projecting something outward or we're experiencing something on our mind screen. And why shouldn't we be able to do that? Thank you for listening to Bipolar Inquiry. If you're enjoying the show, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. Remember, use your voice, craft your consciousness, embody your potential, enter a quantum paradigm. The Bipolar Inquiry podcast is not meant to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Information in this show is not medical advice. Thanks again for listening, and we'll catch you in the next episode.